Morning. So this is the story of the riot of, in Ephesus, and you can read along with me in your book. Acts 19.23. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, You know, my friends, we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious. And they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! <laughs> Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing and some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. (laughs) The city clerk quietened the crowd and said, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and her image, which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If, then, Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anyone, the courts are open and there are pro-councils. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he said this, he dismissed the assembly. The second reading is from 1 Corinthians, chapter 4, and that's page um, 1130 in your Bibles. This, then, is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, 
but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring light to what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you'll not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you any different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish you really had begun to reign so that we might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are so strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We've become the scum of the earth, the garbage of this world, right up to this moment. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospels. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent you to Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I was not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but with what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline? Or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? follow along well and also what I'm saying is what God says it's your job to make sure that um, I'm accurate to God's word all right uh, that'll be good and also there's the outline there uh, just a very simple outline jot some notes down we'll have a question and answer time at the end a question time and don't forget your comment cards as well and I'd say too just if you're if you're if you've brought a friend along I've said this a thousand times you're getting so sick of it I'm going to keep saying it brought a friend along if you're new here today then um, please fill out a little comment card tell us you're here and we can follow you up and particularly if you've brought a friend along make sure that um, they fill out one help them do it okay and put them in the white box at the back there that'd be good let's pray 
and ask God to help us as we open his word. Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us in the Lord Jesus. I thank you for the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, help us to understand it. We pray, Lord, that you would help our hearts to be open to your word. Lord, that we're, as we're challenged by it, uh, as Christians, Father, you would help us to respond in faith, uh, in trust and in obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, a little while back, there was um, uh, footage emerged, it wasn't that long ago, actually, of this Israeli newsreader. You might have seen this story. It's a bit of a sad story, actually, to start with. Um, she's apparently, I don't know what her name is, but she's apparently quite well-known. She's the, she's the Sandra Valley of, you know, of the Israeli newsreading business, whatever you want to call it. Um, she was given the task of reporting live, literally handed a piece of paper, reporting live um, the axing of the news program that she was involved with, that she read the news for, and many of others worked on. She had to read it out without any warning, this, the end of her show. Now, you can imagine that would have been quite difficult, don't you think? So she and many of her friends would lose their jobs. Their future was now uncertain. Now, newsreaders, are, I think this is, if I'm wrong, newsreaders, I think, are trained really not to show a lot of emotion. Uh, they're, they're trained to be fairly um, objective. They um, present the news. They're certainly not... And she's live, and there's a, this is what she says, or part of what she says, this is our last one, so the rest of the program is irrelevant. Her heart drops, you know. Uh, it's so she, she cries. She can't keep it together. She can't put the... It's, it's really moving to watch it. All of us... ...real life of this real person... We, the viewers, looked straight in. Where we're up to in our series in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians is a window that's opened up into the life of Paul, the Apostle Paul. By God, a, a, a window opened where we see in the grief of Paul as this in Corinth, well, breaks away from him. So chapter 4 is full of feelings. I'm going to try out a bit today, if I can. And it, it, full of feeling and emotion, as he responds to, he responds to, so close to his heart, drift away. Now. Uh, It has much to say to any of us, really, and also has much to say to parents. So uh, keep listening. Insight into the Apostle Paul. Let, let's keep. Let's have a look back briefly where we've come. Chapters one and four really are found in blocks. That matters 
sexuality that comes up, taking each other to court, marriage, what we do in And chapter 4, well, we find this example. So that's where we're heading. Uh, That's the Bible open in front of you. Hope you've got the outline in front of you. Uh, Let's get stuck in. Verses 1 to 5 tells us that Paul is faithful. And that's what his goal is, to be faithful. The Corinthians were like school politics. They used to have to put up literally these cards, these big cards, and with a number on them, 2 out of 5, 2.5, that was the result in university. Um, and um, these, these cards saying how good I've, what I've done, uh, whatever they are. Now that's what the Corinthians were doing to these leaders who came through and, and led in their church, Paul, Apollos, uh, and so on criticizing and judging their every move, looking over them, uh, their every word and action. Now, verse 6 tells us, like in chapter 1, that they took pride in one man over the other. That was how they would judge. So who was the more articulate? Who was the more impressive, wise, humanly speaking? That's who they would follow. That's who they would boast in. That's who they're going to side with. Paul, Paul's not going to get caught up in all that. And he reminds them that he is simply a servant of God entrusted with the gospel, entrusted with the secret things of God. That's in reference to back in chapter 2, verse 7, where, where Paul speaks of secret wisdom now revealed. It's now revealed in the Lord Jesus, the gospel. So he is a servant of God. He doesn't care about their judgment. He cares very little about it, he writes. What matters is the Lord's judgment. That's what matters. So, and notice his defense as well, as he tries to bring them back. He doesn't blow his own trumpet, if I can use that expression. In other words, he doesn't rattle off his CV. He doesn't do that, he doesn't stoop to that level. That's, that's not the point. No, no, their judgment isn't what matters. What matters is God's judgment. And God will judge it, he tells them, when the Lord returns. In other words, Jesus will look after it. During the These Corinthians, their judgment was too human and too early. You see? Too human, too early. That was their problem. And Paul wants to correct them. God's judgment is what matters in God's time. That's what matters. Verse 5, we read that Jesus will bring to light what is hidden. What is hidden in darkness. That is our motives. He'll see us. He can see Uh, our hearts 
So therefore, Paul's desire is simply to be faithful. That's his desire. Faithful motives in serving, whether it's preaching or teaching, faithful, a faithful heart. Friends, we don't, we don't serve to impress others or to gain their acceptance or to get a good mark as they judge us. We don't serve for that reason. Uh, so I'll use this example before I use it again. Um, I mustn't preach so that people cry out, what a marvellous preacher. No, no, I preach, teach, so that people cry out, what a marvellous saviour. It's music. When we play music, and we've got a lot of talented musicians in our church, uh, it's, it's, it's in, in music, you see, you go through your whole life, and Lisa will back me up here. Please back me up, Lisa. Um, <laughs> you, you go through your whole life performing. You go through grades and all that sort of stuff, and you perform so that everyone will say, what a marvellous performance. But when we serve in church and music, we don't want that. We actually want people to say, what a great God, what a marvellous saviour, all glory to him. Um, we don't play, I don't play guitar, so you go, hey, nice licks, Graham. Um, we play so that God, and Carolyn sings, so that God will be glorified. We serve God. His judgment is what matters. So whether we serve, whatever it is, music, preaching, teaching, morning tea, whether we serve leading services, children's and youth ministry, and parish council, whether we serve in our giving, in administration, in gardening, uh, we serve God and his church for his glory. That's the judgment that matters. Now, if you consider this your church, then we must serve somewhere, somehow. Uh, the Bible's very clear on that, but we serve with the right motives. God can spot wrong motives. Knows our hearts and whether we are bringing, whether we are being faithful to Him, or looking for the glory for ourselves, seeking the acknowledgement of others as we puff ourselves up. But you see in verse five that God promises that when we are faithful, you see that that, that God will make such faithfulness infinitely worthwhile. Right at the end, verse five. At that time. Jesus returns and judges. Each will receive his praise from God. Infinitely worthwhile. Okay, so first Paul is, is faithful. Uh, even though he's criticised, judged, so on. Second, Paul is humble. Let's have a look at verses 6 to, thir- uh, well, six to 7. We'll read that. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn what learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you do not receive? And if you do not receive it, why do you boast, excuse me, as though you did So in the human judgments, all right? In other words, in the as they're judging on a person, status, success, uh, it was scriptural. arrogance as they judge one leader over and against another this one-upmanship see yes they would say yes Jesus yes Christ crucified is important they say yep but it needs to be something a little bit more we need leaders with status we need leaders with wisdom and success and eloquence that's what spiritual maturity is they're the leaders we want 
I'm going to side with them. I'm going to side with that one. That one. That was what's going on. And so no, no, Paul says, no, no, no. No, I want you to learn from us. In fact, he says, be warned, he writes in verse 13. Learn from us. Now ask Paul and Apollos. Remember, Apollos was the one who, who followed Paul. Uh, Paul started the church and so on, and then Apollos came after him. Learn from us. Be faithful. Don't go beyond what the Scriptures say, what is written. Live according to the Scripture. Depend on the Scriptures, the Gospel, the dependence on the Word of God. Then you won't take pride in one man over against another. Now, this type of thinking is actually a bit more common than we'd probably like. Uh, common in churches and in ministry. Well, the Bible's good, someone might say, but it needs to be supplemented. Uh, by some experience, by some teaching, uh, by even a tradition, that's real spirituality. That's, that's real maturity, someone might say. But then, more often than not, in those situations, the supplement becomes the key and then the gospel is, is pushed to the side. That's what happens. And, of course, as Galatians, that's really no gospel at all. A gospel plus is no gospel at all. Stick to the exhortations of Scripture and doing that, well, that'll limit pride and means we boast in Christ alone, uh, not in ourselves. We boast in the Lord. Now, sadly, they're in their inflated view of themselves, they boast as if they've already spiritually. We picked this up at the start of chapter 3. We didn't look at it much last week. But here in chapter 8, look at sorry, verse 8 of chapter 4, have a look at that verse. It says, Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. You've become kings without us. How I wish you rich kings so that we might be kings with you. They are reigning. It's morally they are more wise, more morally upright, they boast, even in contrast to Paul. It is breathtaking arrogance. So that, and you can feel Paul's emotion. It's a bit of sarcasm. You've made it. And that without us, that's funny because we're the apostles here. What's going on there? How did you make it? I think they've got it wrong. And Paul wants to bring them back. So he goes on to show in this wonderful few verses in verses 9 to 13 that the Corinthians are not there yet. That's not what spirituality is. Here's what spirituality is. Here's what following Jesus looks like. This is what maturity looks like. Learn from us, he says. He contrasts true maturity, the cross-shaped, despised but humble lifestyle of the apostles with the Corinthian egotism. Verses 9 to 13, he says, this is maturity, this is, this is Christ-like living, learn from us. Look at verse 9. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die... Oopsies, sorry about that. I pressed the, totally the wrong button. Help me out here, Rod. There we go. I just thought I'd change that. Let, go back to verse 9, stay with me. Uh, <laughs> that's where the toilets are. Um, 
seems to me that the God has put us apostles at the at display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. See, it, it's a, by the way, it's a reference to the triumphal procession of the Roman soldiers returning. So after battle, uh, some sort of war, whatever it might be, the soldiers would come back and enter the arena. Now, if it helps at this point, think Gladiator. You know the, that movie? Right? That'll help. All right? So the, the senior, senior military come in first, they're the great leaders and so on. They come in first. And then sort of as the hierarchy goes down after that. So senior leaders, they're more junior. And then defeated prisoners. They, they, they come along and they're being dragged along in front of everyone. And then finally, the lowest classes and the slaves are the last. And they're taking up the rear as they enter the arena and everyone's cheering. That's the sort of picture we've got. These lowest classes of those in front knowing that they as the last in the line of the procession they're the ones in fact thrown in, thrown to the gladiators for sport uh, they're the ones that can be thrown into the arena to be taken out eaten attacked by the wild animals that's what paul compares himself to wow uh, now I don't think he's looking for sympathy. I don't think that's what he's doing. I don't think he's saying, oh, look at us. Look at all we've gone through. If we, um, uh, what happened at Ephesus? I use one example there in Acts 19. There's lots of examples where the, the apostles went through awful things. I don't think Paul's looking for sympathy. I think he's just telling it how it is. This is how it is. This is what's happened. He's recording what's gone on. That's what he's doing. Let's keep going. Halfway through verse 9. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as men. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are so strong. You are honoured. We are dishonoured. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. We are slandered. We answer, when we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. Friends, what did Jesus mean when he said, deny yourselves, take up your cross and follow me? What did he mean? Now, I take it what he meant, and I think it seems to me the apostles as well he meant what's described in verses 9 to 13 and 1 corinthians 4 that's what he meant there will be a cost to following jesus now the corinthians they'd done a pretty good job of avoiding that so far they had gone for very comfortable non-costly christianity they'd successfully successfully avoided any type of cost because of their faithlessness uh, their lack of humility even. Following the humble pattern of Jesus' life, despised, rejected, denying themselves and taking up their cross. That's why Paul urges the Corinthians, just like Jesus urged his disciples, to imitate me. But what exactly should God's church imitate? What should we imitate? See, we need to ask ourselves, does God's church 
Are we the church living in the pattern of the Lord Jesus as the apostles were? Was. So we ought to be we ought to be watching out for those sort of the maybe what the Corinthians were doing. Biblical Christianity as opposed to what's in the New Testament. Uh, the glossy, flashy, worldly promises that only focus on me as opposed to that. Now, does that mean that we should aim for suffering as the apostles experienced? Does that mean we should, we should aim for that? Put ourselves in the firing line, go and be a missionary in Aleppo in Syria and see what happens. Um, well, no, it doesn't mean that. No, we, we've missed the point of what Paul's trying to do. What, what does he say? We, we saw it in our first point. Paul aims for faithfulness. That's his aim. Faithfulness. When he says, be like me, when he says, imitate me, he says, be Aim for faithfulness, trust, patience, obedience, and see what happens. See what happens. Keep aiming for faithfulness and see what happens. Well, so Paul is faithful, he's humble, humble despite uh, what is going on. Um, Finally, Paul is loving verses 14 to 21. Paul writes to them as his dear children. It's really better translated beloved, uh, loved ones. They're very, very close to him. His intention is not to shame them. A shame in the Middle Eastern culture is, is much worse than embarrassment. Nothing like that. It's just so much more powerful. He doesn't want to shame them. He actually wants to warn them. He wants to bring them back. Paul's their spiritual father. Now, they, they may have had 10,000 guardians, but they only have one Paul. Many of them became Christians under Paul, very special to them. Can you sense the feeling in his writing? Can you sense that a little bit? Uh, the real sense of rejection that Paul must have felt. I'm not sure there's a, there's a greater pain than the rejection of those you love. Oh, there, there, there may well be, but certainly that is a great pain, is it not? The rejection of those you love, the heartache of, of being pushed away. It's the subject of so many stories, so many movies, and so on, well, because the emotion is so strong, that's why. You know, those, the great, um, that, that movie, uh, Toy Story, um, I get so many examples here. Toy, the, the reason why it's... A, powerful scenes but the whole premise of the movie really or part of the movie is the toys are being rejected by the toys that come alive that are being rejected by who they love their owner remember how it goes and um so the toys are used and abused and then you know abused a bit and then they some of them have their arms ripped off and their heads ripped off and exchanged i don't know if you've seen the movie it's pretty pretty gruesome in some parts of it, but scary even and then they're tossed down the road there's one great scene where Jessie's the cowgirl. Uh, if you need to watch it again, go and do that for homework. Um, but Jessie, Jessie gets left on the side of the road. There's music playing. It's really emotional. She gets left on the side of the road and just with no one around, for someone, box says, what does the box say? It's free, you know, free to anyone to pick up. And Jessie, the cowgirl's there in the box um, waiting to be picked up. She's been, a, she's been just left 
rejected. Um, it's and the music's playing. It's it's. Oh, I need to take a breath. Um, <laughs> of course, it's fiction, isn't it? You know, uh, it's fiction. Here's the reality, though, in the Church of Corinth. Here's the reality of what's going on with Paul. Paul's been rejected by the ones he loves. They're drifting away. They're rejecting him as an apostle. They're rejecting him as his father. Can you imagine how difficult it must have been for Paul to go on loving when giving, given nothing back? Can you imagine that? Of course, when we do imagine that, that's the gospel message, isn't it? That's Jesus Christ crucified. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul goes on loving when, when this group, this church, are, are rejecting him. Paul says he longs to see them. He's going to see them. He's going to come. Don't doubt that, he says. He's going to see them. When he comes, he's not going to come with a, with a, 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 a rod or, a, or a discipline. He's going to come with love. because He loves them so much. And that love for them as their spiritual father is another reason why Paul can say, imitate me loves them dearly see this is this is a comment isn't it it's a comment to christian leadership yes it is uh, it's a comment also so those of us who lead small groups and so on it's a comment for us but it's also a comment for all of us in many ways about loving and it's also a comment to parents let me speak to parents for a minute um i wonder could you ask your children to be like me could you do that like Paul says, as their spiritual father, uh, be like me. Now, parenting doesn't end, does it? Those who have been parents for a long time, um, some of us in this room have been parents for uh, 20, 30 years. Um, parenting doesn't end, actually. It keeps going. Yes, it changes over the years. Responsibilities change and so on. But you're always the parents of your children. So can you say to your children, be like me? In fact, it's only natural for, for children to emulate their parents. They copy the way we speak, how we spend time in God's Word, our walk with Christ, time set aside for prayer, how we submit to Scripture, they copy that, how we commit to the gathering. Children imitate our patterns. That's what they do. And of course, the inverse is true, isn't it? If we speak poorly... Uh, if we rarely read God's Word, if we only submit to parts of Scripture, if we only attend church every now and again, well, our children will do the same. That's what they'll do. It should not come as a surprise. Children emulate their parents. We also, we also shouldn't be surprised if given such an example as a young person, they struggle to be faithful as an older person. Uh, our younger years... Studies show time and time again are foundational and set the pattern for what lies ahead. They do. They get a pattern from us as parents. It's a good challenge, isn't it? As a parent, I'm speaking from my heart. It's a very good challenge and it's not always easy. Let's tie a few things together before we close. Uh, although I do want to mention just one thing about verse 20. Verse 20 is often misunderstood. And verse 20 is often, uh, eh, it's, it's badly understood, I should say as well. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. 
Now, clearly, the, in the context, the talk is the arrogant boasting in human wisdom that's been dividing this church. That's the talk. The talk is not a reference to preaching. Um, but the kingdom of God is not of such things. Talk, that type of talk they've been caught up in about who's going with who and who's following who. The kingdom of God is of power. That power, as we remember from chapter 1, verse 18, is the gospel. That's the gospel message, the message of the cross. Not, not some spiritual experience, I know, and nor is Paul, Paul diminishing the role of preaching. Uh, that's clearly not the talk he's referring to here. Okay, let's, let's tie a few things together. Um, friends, this is a chapter full of feeling. It really is. A window opened into Paul. And as we look through this window, we see Paul's ministry really is a reflection of Jesus Christ. Yes, not quite the depth of Jesus, but in his trials and troubles, we see Paul's faithfulness, we see his humility and love. Paul says in 11 verse 1, he says, he says follow me as I follow Christ. Paul models not only Christ-like leadership, Christ-like parenting, <laughs> but he also models Christ-like living. So why don't we pray and ask God to help us with that. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would be indeed faithful, humble and loving. Thank you for the example of Paul and Apollos and the Apostles. Lord, we pray that we would um, indeed uh, deny ourselves, uh, take up our cross and follow you. Lord, this is a challenge sometimes. It's a challenge for, for parents. It's a challenge for people who aren't parents too, obviously. It's a challenge for all of us. Uh, we ask that you'd help us with it. Help us to be faithful. Faithful when times are tough and faithful when times are good. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit, that indeed with your spirit in us as Christian people, we can, uh, we can be faithful to you and that you would help us with this and you don't leave us alone to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.